0: To learn more about The Church at West Gantt, visit us at www.thechurchatwg.com or visit our Facebook page, and we would love to connect with you. Have a great day. Already, And And uh, our kiddos are going to head upstairs for some time together, and we are going to dive back into the Sermon on the Mount. So if you've got a Bible with you this morning, I'd encourage you to open it up to Matthew And we are going to be in the sixth sixth chapter of Matthew, uh, picking up in verse nineteen. Matthew chapter six, picking up in verse nineteen. Um, anybody ever had a really bad concussion? Got hit in the head, real bad. Duncan, you've had one. You've had one back there. Wes has had one. All right. Um, I have never been diagnosed with a concussion. But when I was in high school playing soccer, uh, we had a, a group of people who came out my senior year that were testing athletes who were potentially college-bound athletes who were gonna go play uh, their sport in college. And, and I was one of them, and they, they came in, and they did some what they called concussion testing. We had, to, uh, we had to prove that we still had enough brain power, I guess, I don't know, to play the sports that we wanted to play. Uh, and apparently you're only allowed to have a certain number of concussions before the NCAA will stop you from playing your sport. Uh, they won't give you uh, the ability to do that. And so they came in my senior year, and they were testing us. And, and I will never forget the tests they had us do because they were hard. <laughs> All right? They walked us into these rooms, and they had us uh, do balance testing first. And here's what you need to know about me. I've never had good balance, okay? Without concussions, I've never had good balance, all right? I just, I don't. I fall over at the slightest thing. Um, I'm not very flexible, and that doesn't help either. If I I try to sit Indian style, I just roll backwards, all right? I just fall over on my back all the time. I'm not flexible, and so flexibility and balance go together, and so I just, I've never been good at balance. But they had to start by standing on one leg like this, and you had to count, to like 10 or something like that. And so, hey, that was pretty good for me, by the way. Um, so, but they would have us stand on one leg. Then they would have us stand on one leg with our an, hands out like this, and we had to touch our nose. We had to alternate like this. Then you had to switch feet. Then it got more challenging. They had you stand on these platforms that were suspended by four chains. Uh, and so the, the platform was, was shaky. It, was, uh, it floated in the air. And you had to stand on that one-footed and then alternate touching your nose on this platform that even the slightest movement of your foot would make that platform start going crazy. All right. Now, I couldn't pass that on a normal day with a healthy brain, much less after having a couple of concussions. Okay. I just couldn't do it, but they made us do that. And so then we got to uh, the memory testing. And so they would have us recite some letters. They would say, all right, you, uh, I'm going to give you 10 letters. I'm going to repeat them in order, and you've got to repeat them back to me, all right? So A B C D F G, whatever, we had to repeat them A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Then they went to numbers, and they had us repeat numbers. Then they gave us a set of numbers, and they weren't always sequential. So they might go 8, 15, 23, whatever, and they made us repeat them backwards. Anybody in the room think they could do that? No, but that's what we had to do. We had to stand in this room and we had to repeat these numbers back to these representatives from the NCAA to determine whether or not our brains had been damaged by the sports that we had played, all right? Now, it turns out that I was borderline. Now, like I said, I've never been diagnosed with a concussion, but my results came back and they were like, bro, you get hit in the head one more time, you're done, all right? And so that was kind of how I started my college career playing sports, but here's what I know about the sport that I love, playing sports soccer. A lot of people think that soccer is kind of a wussy game, all right? It's okay. You can admit it. You've been like, the World Cup was on, and y'all were all like, we don't care, all right? I care. I love playing soccer. It's a fun sport to me, but it is way rougher than people understand. And I had a friend of mine, his name was Adam, who played on the soccer team with me, and I'll never forget we were uh, I was sitting in our circle uh, pre-game pep talk. He was the captain that year and he was rah-rahing us, trying to get us up and ready to go. And I'll never forget, he said, Chris, and, and, and everybody was saying, he was telling our team, he said, Hey guys, we've got to go up for the 50 50 balls. If you don't know what a 50-50 ball is, that's when the ball gets hit up in the air and it's anybody's ball, right? Like any team can come down with that ball. And he's like, We've got to win the 50 50 balls. Go up. And if you don't know, again, when the ball's in the air, the first thing a soccer player is gonna to try to hit it with is their head, all right? So he's like, it doesn't hurt, you just gotta go for it, and he kept reiterating, it's not gonna hurt that bad, like, you'll be all right, like, go up for it. We just gotta win, we gotta win. We had to have intense focus on winning these 50-50 balls. And so we went out into the game, and we're playing this game, and about halfway through, right before halftime, the goalie from the other team punted the ball up into the air, and Adam goes up to win this 50-50 ball. And one of the other teammates from the other, the other team goes up with him and came down with his elbow right in the top of Adam's head and cracked, split the back of his head wide open. We had to stop the game. He had to go to the hospital. He got staples and we never let him live it down. Yeah, go up for those 50-50 balls. They don't hurt. Just go for it. Yeah, they hurt. But here's what I know about all these head injuries injuries. And all these things that can happen in these sports that we love. And if you're a football guy in the room, you know uh, how the NCAA and professional football has tried to protect our athletes by upping the equipment and giving them better helmets and all these rules and regulations that are almost a little constricting at this point. But the purpose behind all of that was to protect the hearts and the minds, specifically the minds, of our athletes. And one of the things that can happen when you get a serious head injury, when something's wrong, a concussion or, or whatever it may be, you get something called double vision, okay? If you get hit in the head hard enough, all of a sudden you start seeing two of everything. And it's not like the cartoons where it's like washing in and out. It's like, nope, I'm looking out at y'all, and there are two Curtis Thompsons sitting in the room right now. I don't know how he multiplied, but he did. There's two of them. <laughs> Man, Hope. (laughs) She just called you out. If y'all didn't hear her, she said one's enough. (laughs) We get these double visions. We start to lose our focus and our ability to see things the way that they need to be and to be able to intentionally pursue the right thing. Because if I get injured in a soccer game and I have a head injury and I start seeing two of a soccer ball that's headed my way, I don't know which one to kick. So I just start swinging at one of them and hope that it's the real ball. It, it, these, these head injuries can legitimately cause our vision to split. This morning, we're going to see in our passage on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks a little bit about double vision spiritually. And, and some things that draw our focus away. And how sometimes when we get this double vision, sometimes when our minds begin to split and see two different things, we're not really sure which one to really aim at sometimes. And he's going to talk to us this morning a little bit about why that's dangerous in our spiritual walk. So let's dive right in. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, says this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your Sermon on the Mount. We thank you for its words and how it teaches and instructs us even today, 2,000 years later. Looking at these words on this page and knowing that, God, I have just read a passage that describes me, Father, a man divided sometimes, trying to determine which master I'm going to serve and where I'm going to store up my treasure. And God, this morning, I pray that you would use this word to help us clarify our priorities, to help us get our minds back into intense focus on the things that really matter, that all of these split uh, ideas in our hearts and minds would be unified with the things that you're asking us to see and to do. God, we pray that you would convict us if there's anything in us, Father, that doesn't line up with your word, that you would challenge us to submit it to the cross this morning, and God, if there's anything in us that, doesn't, uh, that is missing, a discipline that needs to be added, God, show us those as well that we would walk out of this room more like your son, Jesus, more able to communicate the gospel better equipped to serve in your kingdom. God, we love you, and we praise you for all that you're gonna do. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Jesus stands on the mountainside with his disciples, declaring the Sermon on the Mount. We've just wrapped up kind of a bigger section of of three righteousness and practice pieces. And he continued to use some phrasing with these disciples as he was working with them through fasting and through praying and through giving. He continued to say to them, hey, don't be like the hypocrites who do certain things in public. They, they pray, but they pray on the street corner, declaring all these crazy things loudly so that everyone can hear them. Or they fast and they change their faces so that everyone around them will know that they're suffering through their fasting, right? They give, but when they walk into the temple to do their giving, they slam their money into the money plate so that everybody around them knows that they have given towards the needs of the community, Jesus said over and over again, don't be like these hypocrites. And then he said this phrasing in every one of these passages that we've just wrapped up. He says that those people already have their reward. And then Jesus jumps to this idea of treasure in heaven. And what Jesus is drawing our attention to as we paint the Sermon on the Mount with broad strokes is the idea that, hey, we can do all of these things like the hypocrites, like the Pharisees. We can do things for show, and there is a reward that is ours in the moment. The reward is the applause of man. The reward is people looking at us and going, wow, what a great guy. Man, what a wonderful woman of God. Look at the amazing things that they've done. And Jesus says those kind of people have already received their reward. But then he contrasts that with a true believer and true righteousness. And he says for us today that rather than seeking that reward, that we should store our treasures elsewhere. So let's dive into this passage as we kind of tear it apart phrase by phrase. Let's look together at verse 19. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. As Jesus declares these words to his disciples, he says, Listen, some of you have been about a lifestyle of trying to accumulate things. You've tried to store up your treasure here on earth, and he says, he draws their attention to the fact that this treasure you've been trying to accumulate, there is a a specific flaw with that treasure. And that specific flaw is, it is temporary. He says, a moth and rust will destroy it. I have a set of weights in my back room in our house down there at the Parsonage that rust is currently destroying because I don't use them. Moths will creep into your closet, that's why we have all these things to protect our clothing like mothballs and uh, we put sheets over them or or protective plastic uh, bags over them to protect our clothes because if we store those things in a closet too long, the bugs get in and they begin to destroy those things that we have stored up. Lindsay and I used to uh, refurbish a little bit of furniture here and there. We still do on the side every once in a while. We don't do it quite as much as we used to, but there were several pieces of furniture that we went to pick up from somebody and brought back to our house to begin to redo, and it was very obvious when we began to get into the project that it was going to be more challenging than we realized because the, the wood had began to rot. There were bugs in it. There were things destroying that piece of property. Jesus draws the attention of the disciples to the fact that what they have been pursuing up until that point in their life was temporary reward. We need to be reminded this morning that whatever you've pursued this week, more than likely, if it wasn't something that God called you to do, if it wasn't some investment in his kingdom, that it is a temporary reward. Now, does that make it necessarily evil? No, There were some good pursuits that you went after this week. There was a job that you worked because you needed to earn some money to provide for your family, and that is not in and of itself evil because you've got to eat. You got to have a house. You got to provide for your family. Those are good things, but they're not necessarily the things that Jesus was trying to draw the attention of his people to in this moment. He says, hey, those aren't necessarily evil things. They're just not necessarily the things that are eternal. And and so we've got to understand that there are things that we have invested in this week that bring a temporary reward to us. Guess what happens if you eat lunch today? By dinner time, you're what? Hungry. (laughs) You had to work a job to get some money to afford that food to be able to put it in your mouth and some of y'all were like, I didn't even make it to dinner time. It was like three o'clock and I was hungry again. It's a temporary reward to your body. Now, is it evil to eat? No, we got to. But there's just a temporary reward in it. Even beyond that, going back to the hypocrites and the praying and the fasting and the giving is that the the display that they put there for all people to see, the reward was the applause of man, the the congratulations of people around them, the the recognition of what a great and mighty work they had done. And Jesus says that is a temporary earthbound treasure. And it will go away. We will lose it. Moth and rust will destroy. Thieves will come and steal. It will go away. Which begs the question what do we do about that? If we've invested so much of our time and so much of our energy into temporary rewards, what's the solution? Well, Jesus doesn't give us long to wait on that. He begins to respond immediately to that. He says in verse 20, he says, but here's the answer. Here's the transition. Here's the thing you need to change or tweak. He says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also Jesus says the the stark contrast for us today to get into our hearts and our minds is this idea of what have I done this week that is bringing not just temporary earthbound easy to destroy rewards but what is bringing me eternal reward what treasure am I storing up that one day when I stand face to face with Jesus when I stand in his kingdom God is going to say hey welcome unto your reward what have I done this week What conversations have I had? What investments have I made? What things have I done that have earned me a right in God's kingdom to be able to look at a reward and say, man, that's something that I did? Now, we gotta be real careful here because as we start to talk about it that way, our tendency as people is to go, oh, that means we can can earn these things and if we just do enough good deeds and we we just strive for doing all the right stuff, then, then God's gonna love me more or God's gonna give me greater salvation or I can earn my way into heaven by just being a good man or a good woman. Because that is not where Jesus goes here. Jesus is drawing a distinction not between what we do here on earth earning us salvation, but rather the investment that we are making into his kingdom that one day will reap a reward for us in heaven. There's a distinction there. And we've got to understand the difference. It's not about earning our right to heaven as much as it is investing into God's kingdom. What have we done this week to invest into God's kingdom? Many of you yesterday showed up and invested in God's kingdom. You came and you washed cars, 52 of them, 52 cars. And a lot of people look at that and go, well, that's just a temporary reward, man. It's just uh, the applause of man. Like, great job, 52 cars, wonderful. Listen, the people who were here yesterday were working and toiling in the sun. Uh, Duncan has the world's worst sunburn on his shoulders right now from being out in the sun all day yesterday. Man, it is bad because, but he wasn't doing that to invest in just a kids' camp, y'all. He was doing that to invest into the lives of 43 children who will be in our building in a week who are going to get to hear the gospel who are going to get to hear the good news of Jesus, who are going to get the opportunity to respond to that call on their lives and, in, and become a part of God's kingdom. The investment that was made at a car wash was not about getting a dollar in a bag somewhere. It was about reaching the lives of a few kids who are going to be here in our building. What have you done this week to store up treasure in heaven? What have you done this week that is going to make God smile? What, are you gonna, what have you done this week that has made a spiritual deposit into your bank account with Jesus? I love the statement in verse 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is a transitional statement into the next block of Scripture. He says, hey, you've got this contrast. You're either gonna lay up treasure here on earth, you're gonna work and toil for a bunch of temporary reward, or you're gonna work and toil for something that's eternal. And he says, hey, by the way, the indication of which one you're doing is where your heart is. What's the heartbeat behind it? Did you do it like the hypocrite who slammed his coins down into the offering plate to make sure that everybody heard him? Did you do it for the applause of man? Or did you do the same action you gave, but you gave with the heartbeat of God's kingdom growing? Maybe it's that prayer life, and it's that prayer of a hypocrite who stands on a street corner and proclaims loudly how his prayers need to go up to heaven, and maybe it's the same action of praying and seeking God's face, but doing it in secret, doing it where only God can hear, not for the applause of man, not for the attractional aspect but just so that you can honor the Lord. Or maybe it's in your fasting. We talked about that last week, that it's a spiritual discipline that goes unused most of the time. We forget about it or we do it in the wrong way. We use it as a diet plan to lose some weight. Or we do it, but we let everybody around us know, man, I'm fasting. Oh, man, I'm so hungry. But should we do that? Or should we fast with a true heartbeat behind it, a heartbeat of desiring more of who God is and desiring to see God move and breathe and speak not only to us, but to our church and our community and our world? What's the heartbeat? Jesus takes these three passages and he kind of summarizes it and he says, depending on how you do these things, you're either gaining your reward here on earth where moth and rust will destroy and thieves will steal, or you've laid up treasure in heaven, where moth can't get to it, where rust doesn't exist, and where thieves can't get to it either which one will we do this week? How will we invest? But he gives us this transitional statement. It's about the heart, but then he transitions from heart to eye. Look at verse 22. He says, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also, verse 22, the eye. We jump from the heart to the eye. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. We need to understand something about this idea of the, ite, excuse me, the eye and the lamp of the body. This is a Jewish line of thought. This is something that, again, as he, Jesus stands on a mountainside and teaches his disciples, they, they come with an understanding of something about the eyes. They believe that the eyes for them literally were the input and the output of everything in them. And so if they looked at certain things or they allowed certain things to be seen, it would impact all of who they were. And so Jesus is trying to draw their attention to a concept that they understood about their eyes and how it impacts everything to the heart and how the heart in God's kingdom impacts everything. It's not just about what we see and what we look at, but it's about the heartbeat behind why we do what we do. Why did we look at it? Why did we allow those things to be there? What was the purpose? And then Jesus draws a distinction about the two things that our heart or our eye can see. Look with me at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. So whether if you're thinking about the eye or thinking about the heart or thinking about giving or fasting or praying, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and And money. Jesus draws our attention to the split vision that we've got. Many of us walk through our week with two very different focuses, foci. We look towards the things of this world. We look towards getting recognition. We look towards gaining stuff and accumulating things. We look towards the wealth of our family and the generations that follow us, and there is not necessarily anything inherently evil with those things. They are just not the focus of someone who is following God's kingdom. The focus and the true heartbeat, the doing away with the double vision and just focusing laser beamed in on what God has called us to do and to be. He says, Stop pursuing the idea of just wealth and accumulation and start pursuing the idea of building God's kingdom because that's where true treasure lies. And so think about the things you've done this week. Did you do them with a heartbeat of accumulation? Or a heartbeat of kingdom building. I have loved sitting down with a guy named Tyler Kimbrell over the last long time. (laughs) Every Tuesday morning, Tyler and I meet at five, not every Tuesday, most Tuesdays, Tyler and I gather together at 5.30 in the morning at Starbucks on Pelham Road and we sit and we enjoy a cup of coffee and we talk about life and work and church and all the stuff that's going on and we pray and we look at those things and we, we talk about all the stuff that's going on here and what his role is like. We, we discuss all of that in about an hour time and here's what I have loved to hear from Tyler in the last few weeks. Tyler began a Bible study at his work. He started meeting with some guys and he just said to them, hey, I would love for us to just talk through scripture. Now, Tyler has attempted this a couple of times in the history that I've been meeting with him and it just seems to just never gain a whole lot of traction sometimes. But about a month ago, about two months ago, somewhere around in there, Tyler made an attempt again and so he went to some guys at his work and he said to them, hey, I would really love for us to do more than just work together in the course of a day. I want us to study some scripture and hold each other accountable and push each other forward. And so he started meeting, and you know how many guys he had show up for the first few weeks? One. and One guy show up. But you know what's happened over the last few weeks? Tyler now has five. Five that are meeting with him in a secular business once a week for Bible study and prayer. In the business, not in the parking lot, not down the street, at their job, studying Scripture together. Now, Tyler has been going to that job for a while because he's got to pay for a house and he's got to take care of his wife and he's got to be a good leader of his home and he's got to do all of those earthly things that bring a temporary reward that aren't necessarily bad things. But here's what I've seen in Tyler. The focus has shifted a lot for him from these temporary rewards of money in his bank account and providing for all these needs that, again, are good things to do. But his mind and his focus has shifted and now Tyler is living as a kingdom man inside of this job and seeing his workplace as something more important than just a money-making scheme. And I wonder how many of us have attended a job for years of our lives and never thought about asking somebody who works with us if they know Jesus, Or, or starting a Bible study, or asking them to meet us for coffee later so we can walk through it, or whatever it may be. Tyler has put on display for me personally what it looks like to take away the double vision and to say, I still have to work a job. I still got to provide for my family. But my focus, my heart, my heartbeat is that these men that I go to work with every single day would know Jesus. My heartbeat is that I would use these 40 or 50 hours a week that I'm with them in a business, that I would use that opportunity to grow God's kingdom. You know, we see Paul do the same thing in the New Testament. Paul uh, begins uh, to minister to people around him. He gets this call on his life. He's transformed radically on the road to Damascus. And, and Paul begins to minister to a lot of people. Later on in Paul's life, he's arrested and he's placed in captivity. And it's not a typical prison like you would think. It's not a uh, strapped to a wall somewhere. Although he had that happen a few times too, it wasn't a prison cell necessarily with a gate and a lock and a key. As much as it was, Paul was under house arrest, and he would have these soldiers who would come and would literally chain themselves to Paul. And wherever Paul went, that guard went, and that guard's job was to make sure that Paul didn't do anything that he wasn't supposed to do. And the response of Paul, as we read through his writings in this, as he, as we write, as he writes what's called the prison epistles several books of the Bible later in the New Testament. He's writing these while he has a guard bound to him. And he writes these words about, I'm going to make sure that these chains that I bear are not chains that are just earthly chains, but I am bound by Christ in this. And so Paul took advantage of the fact that there was a lost soldier strapped to him 24 hours a day and he began to proclaim the works of Jesus to this guy who had no choice but to follow him around every second of every day. What would happen if we began to view things that way? What would happen if the heartbeat behind everything that we did went from just survival, earthly reward, to a heartbeat of, I desire to see God's kingdom grow, and nothing that I do is pointless anymore? Nothing that I do is just to pass time. Nothing that I do anymore is just for the sake of doing it out of routine and ritual, but I begin to do it with a motivation of seeing the lost be found, of seeing people who don't know Jesus come to know him as their Lord and Savior. What would happen if my heartbeat began to transition so that even as I stand at a gas pump pumping gas, my heart is I'm not just standing here wasting the five minutes that it takes me to pump $100 worth of gas at the gas pump, but all of a sudden I'm looking around at the people around me going, man, how can I in this moment pray for the person that I don't even know that's sitting on the other side of the pump? Or or how can I engage with them in some way and make sure that they know that beyond a shadow of a doubt they've heard the name of Jesus today and they know his story? What would happen is if we? It, what would happen if we walked through grocery stores with a heartbeat of going? I'm not just coming to get the earthly reward of not being hungry, but I'm coming missionally into a grocery store looking for opportunities to serve people around me. What would happen if we went into our families? not just with a heartbeat of we gather together because it's Sunday and it's time to eat lunch and so our family's gonna get together this week and we're gonna eat lunch, but what would happen if we gathered with intentionality and with a heartbeat behind making sure that our family honored God and all that we do and that we were raising up the next generation to follow Jesus? What would happen if bedtime routines at night with our kids stopped just being about getting a kid to sleep but started becoming a relational aspect where we build the kingdom in the hearts and the minds of our children through prayer, Bible study, questions. How was your day? What'd you do today? How'd that go? Can we talk through that a little bit? What would happen if that heartbeat shifted? A while back, Miss Cindy sent me a text message of a video of Lou Ansley. Uh, and she beautiful prayer. They were praying at bedtime. And she was praying because earlier that day, Gavin and Rosie and Zeke had gone out to play in the front yard, and they were there visiting Mr. Tom. And Rosie was doing something, and she fell and skinned her knee. And that broke that little girl's heart that Rosie had fallen and gotten hurt. And so Cindy and David, as they were laying her down for bedtime, started to do Bedtime prayers. And you know what came out of that little girl's mouth? I want to pray for Rosie. I want to make sure she's okay. And I listened not only as she prayed, but as Cindy kind of directed that a little bit. You could hear Cindy in the background. What do you want to pray for? Why? It was intentionality. Building the kingdom of God in that little girl's heart. What would we do? What would this world look like? if we stopped being people who just passed the time and started being people who were laser-focused on building God's kingdom. This coming week, we as a church have an opportunity to send two men out to build God's kingdom. They're going to do a couple of things. They're going to be doing some construction during the day, helping the church out with some projects in Kentucky But they're also going to be investing through Vacation Bible School and some other ministries in the lives of some kids. They're going to be doing some evangelism and some deep pieces on that. And so, Tyler, I'm going to ask you and Megan to come forward. Uh, If you don't mind, Megan, I don't know how you feel about that. I didn't ask you. So, come on. Tyler and and Pastor Antonio from our Spanish service will be headed to Kentucky uh, on the 15th. And they are going not with the intention of just doing some projects. Because if that was the heartbeat behind what Tyler and Antonio were going to do, we would have some temporary rewards in that, some earthly rewards. But I believe wholeheartedly that Tyler and Antonio are going with a kingdom mindset, a mindset that what they are investing in is about a reward in heaven one day. It's about building God's kingdom in the lives of the kids who will attend Vacation Bible School and the, the ministries that will happen in the facilities where they are doing the construction project. I believe wholeheartedly that these two men are gonna go and they're gonna do the work of God's kingdom. And it's gonna be beautiful to watch. We get the opportunity as a church to bless them in that and to send them out and to be able to say, hey, we are behind you. Not just in mindset, but in prayer, financial support, however else we can be involved in them, understanding that it's not about even us getting a reward by being supportive of a man in our church. But it's about us as a church being kingdom-minded and understanding that the investment we're making in Tyler and Antonio will have a kingdom impact, an eternal impact. So I'm excited as your pastor to stand before you this morning and say, hey, for the first time in literally almost a decade, we are sending out a missions team to invest in the kingdom of God. We are taking the double vision And we are making it singularly focused on the kingdom of God. This morning, I want to pray over Tyler and uh, Megan, his wife. If you don't know Megan, this is Megan. And uh, she's a wonderful lady. If you ever need help with your teeth, she works in a dentist office. So go see her and make it happen. But um, here's what I'm going to ask us to do. I I would love if y'all would. We're going to commission Tyler. And and, uh, we're going to do the same thing in the Spanish service later today over Antonio and pray over him. Um, But if you would be willing to stand and come down, we're just going to pray over this man and his wife, and we're going to ask God to bless the work of their hands. So if you'd be willing to come and join us, come on down and get a hand on him. Make sure you cough on his face, give him COVID. (laughs) Let's pray together. Father God, what a blessing it is to watch as you stir in this church again a mentality of a kingdom mindset, a heartbeat of serving you and doing whatever it takes, God, even using vacation time and uh, leaving our family behind so that we can go and invest in your kingdom. God, I, I am so excited to watch, God, as you stir in our hearts again as you make us passionate and motivated about going and doing the work of the kingdom and laying up that treasure there, God. And I pray that as Tyler and Antonio go this week to do the work of the kingdom, God, that you would, number one, keep them humble in that work. God, remind them that it's not about their accolades. It's not about the name of Tyler and Antonio. It's not even about the name of the church at West Gantt, Father. It is about the kingdom of God being advanced through the work of your people on this earth. And so, God, I pray that you would bless the work of their hands, God, as they do construction projects, God, I pray that the resources would be there necessary to be able to complete that job, that you would put the uh, people around them that can help them accomplish those tasks well, and that those facilities would be used to further your kingdom in years to come. And God, that as they invest in the lives of children and the families and the community around them there in Kentucky, God, we pray that you would use them in real ways, Father, that they would um, uh, invest in the lives of these children, that these children would be raised up to come to know you as their Lord and Savior and another generation of Christ followers, Father, would be raised up to continue the work of your kingdom until you come back, Father, until you return for us. God, I pray that you would use these two men to do the work of your kingdom and that as they do so, Father, treasure would be laid up in heaven and that we would know one day we're gonna walk through the pearly gates and one day, Father, we're gonna meet people who are there, people who are standing in the kingdom of God, treasure that's there because Tyler and Antonio went, because Tyler and Antonio invested, because people from the church at West Gantt gave, because we prayed, because we sought after you. God, we pray that your kingdom would grow. Father, we will rejoice on that day over the people that we don't even know that will know you because of this. Father, we love you. We praise you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.